Hola y bienvenidos a la Deuces Wild Daily Hustle. Soy Enrique Barnes y presidente de mejor cerveza. 818 es el mejor tequila y dad water y mom water son los mejores bebidas. Thank you, mom water and dad water once again. No Abate Poor No Filter Network. Will the Thrill Clark, he will be on tonight. Game four of the World Series. This is happening. Alternative broadcast. Television is right there. We're pointing at that direction, and it is on. Miguelito San Diego, a.k.a. Bobby Ballhall, a.k.a. Bobby Barrels, as he is known in Savannah, not with us today, will not be with us tonight, unless, that is, he's not at the game. He has been going to every one of the Dimebacks playoffs game, a true fucking fan, a true diehard, really proud of my boy. I really, I mean, it's, it's awesome to see because he grew up a Cubs fan. But he grew up with the Dimebacks. He's the typical guy that we talk about that had the influence from his family to be a fan of another team. But he's also spent his entire life in the desert. And by doing that, he became a Diamondbacks fan. He saw the World Series run in 2001. He was able to follow the Dimebacks team in 2007, I think 2010, 2011, when they went to the playoffs again, I believe it was 2017, but Kowalski has gotten 100% behind this thing, which is awesome. So we will have that here. Looking forward to it. Giuseppe Pepe Manuele will be here as well. So he said he was going to bring over a bottle of tequila. I mean, what more can we ask? All right. A very pleasant good morning to you on the 31st of October. It is Tuesday and it's Halloween. Happy Halloween, everybody. Question is, what am I going to be for Halloween? There was multiple things that have gone back and forth. And I was going to be prime. It'd be too easy. But my kid wants to be prime. He was going to be Shakur Sanders. I was going to be prime. Now we were rolling. I mean, that was going to be something, right? Well, he wants to be prime. I'm good with that. We didn't have the Colorado football uni full deck out, but I am going by the costume store. I'm going to come up with something. Okay, the last of the major pro sports leagues kick off this week, and Bet Online is your top spot for all your NBA action. It's fantastic. Oh, was that Marv Albert? NBA action. It's fantastic. It doesn't say that in the script, but I read it every fucking morning. All right. With MLB postseason NFL and college football, the NHL in full swing, Bet Online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. Get anything, everything. NBA at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile. Access for every spot. Every spot. I swear I know how to read. Every sport. 
anytime. Head to Bet Online today to get in on all the action. Don't forget to use promo code BLEAV. B L E A V. All capitals to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. So thank you to our title sponsor, Bet Online, for the support of the Deuces Wild Daily Hustle program. We love you guys. And also here, sponsor at No Filter Network, it's Verge. Yes, it is. This is for all my ADD folks, the people who have trouble concentrating. Uh, Verge has supplied us with hundreds of these things. And I can't thank them enough, so we will continue to give them love as these come in. This is a honey, lemon, ginger, just fucking focus Mm. shot that will absolutely charge your day. It just gives you that warm feeling inside. Kind of like taking a shot of Jaeger or something, except it's good for you and it tastes a shit ton better. You know that warm feeling, though. Oh, Jaeger. I had some rough nights with that. All right. Um, welcome to Half Moon Bay, California, by the way. Let's, let's, before we get into anything Daily Hustle, let's just take a tour around the room. <clears throat> Up above here, you guys cannot see it, and I don't really want to fuck with the camera, is our Roger Craig poster. The great running back for the San Francisco 49ers. Autograph that says, to the boys at the ranch, the only place to be. What's up, Raj? So the ranch was our crib in college that was occupied by myself, Eric Valent, Mike Seal, Scott Seal at some point, Brian Seidensall, Bob Angus. So uh, there was a, a crew there. I'm trying to think who else at any point lived there. That's pretty much it. Uh, over here, I have the Joe Montana. As you can see, the jersey. Right next to that is the Bonds, Willie McCovey, Willie Mays, three signed balls, 500 home, cl- home run club members of the Giants right there. Back here are the four Super Bowl winning tickets of the Niners. And then there's a little curse of the band. But, you know, you got Bruce Lee there. You got the Peloton treadmill. Fantastic, by the way. Uh, footboard, who gives a shit? What I'm really getting at, and hold on a second, because this is the effortless life lessons from a human crash chest dummy that I was trying to put on full display here. Go to ericburns.com to pick up one of those. Or I think you go to, like, Amazon or something else. Just a heads up for everybody who's ordered a footboard, who's ordered books, whatever recently. It's been a complete and total shit show trying to get these out. We had a change in our shipping company who ships it out. And in the midst of that, it just got discombobulated, not with the material. We got all the materials, everything to San Diego, Amanda Pan, a can of worms is now going to be shipping everything out. But there was in the computer system, basically for every order that comes in, it's saying it was already shipped when it hasn't been shipped. So we've now, we think, worked out through just about all those details and be patient because your footboard, your book, whatever, it should be coming ASAP. We have a quote here, and this will be our daily hustle quote of the day. 
We cannot always build the future for our youth, but we can build our youth for the future. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. If you think about what that means, it's basically we try to pave the roads for our kids. And the problem with that is that it's impossible because as much as we try to be the snowplow parent and, oh, yeah, here we go. This is going to essentially make your life easy. The reality of the situation is that that'll never happen. In life, there's yin and yang. And as life continues to go on, there's always going to be going to be resistance from that other side. So the best thing that we can do is build our youth for the future. Build our youth to be resilient. Build our youth to be individuals who know how to adapt, adjust, overcome while doing everything in their power to do everything they can to build it out then for the next generation. It's critical. We cannot rely on building the perfect future. We can do what we can. We can do everything in our power to try to make things okay. But the issue becomes this overprotectiveness. It is not real. I saw the most amazing thing this morning from Wally Backman. And I'm talking, this was one of the most beautiful speeches that I've ever listened to in my life. And one of the first comments that I saw was anti-inspirational. Seriously. The guy's name, I even remember, it it was Patrick Burns, B-Y-R-N-E-S. So obviously, we we know that we are not related, Patrick and I, because I felt the exact opposite when I listened to Backman's speech. Hold on a second. And by the way, how about this? Let's give a little love for the A's mug. Okay, so what Backman was saying... And I'm pretty sure this is either a YouTube series or a show or something. I got to figure out what it is. The name of the team is the Peanuts. I have no idea what level it is. I think it's independent. I'm not positive. He was saying that Desi Wilson plays for the team, 39-year-old Desi Wilson. So Backman basically walks into the locker room after the game. And he's like... You guys want to be champions? If you want to be champions, I want to let you guys know something. It's really fucking hard. And then Backman proceeds to say that we're in the championship right now. And we had two of you, just two of you, show up for batting practice. That's fucking unacceptable. Do the rest of you guys here, do you think you're so good that you don't need to take batting practice? And that's when he referenced 39-year-old Desi Wilson, former major leaguer, 
And he said, Desi Wilson played in the big leagues. None of you other motherfuckers play in the big leagues. Desi Wilson showed up for batting practice. What's wrong with you guys? And then he lit into the pitchers. He goes, pitchers, you guys are fucking scared. Quit being a bunch of pussies. And he went on and on and on. But he then brought it all back. He said, if you guys want to be a team, you got to pick each other up. And you know how you pick each other up? Through work. Showing the guy next to you that you're committed to work. That's a team. You're not a team just by hanging out or we're playing a card game together or video game or Fortnite bullshit. You're a team because you make a commitment to be your best each and every single day by preparing however you can to get ready to beat the other team's ass. That's a fucking teammate. That's the best teammate I ever had. Doesn't mean it's my best friend. People ask me that all the time. Who's your best team? Who is the best teammate you ever had? Eh. I would say that one of the best teammates I ever had was a guy that I barely talked to. Barely. Two of them. And you know what? They were both fucking MVPs. Number one was Jason Giambi in 2000. To watch him go about his business, to watch him work the way he did, was inspirational. That's a teammate. He smiled, he laughed, he was encouraging. And more than anything, he led by example. And was he on his own program? You're damn right he was on his own program. Showed up at, I don't know, call it 1 o'clock in the afternoon for a 7 o'clock game. Went into the weight room with Bob Alejo. They had their whole pregame thing that they did. Came back, refueled, up to the cage. All the early work. Never took batting practice on the field. Never took batting practice on the field. So rare. But he had his thing. And he was very meticulous about it. The other one, another MVP, Miguel Tejada. And when I say I didn't talk like a lot, he's like, I mean, I obviously did. But neither one of those guys were my best friends. I was a young guy coming up. Even though Todd and I apparently were the same age. But Tahada was in the league way before I was. And Tahada did the same thing. He just worked. And he had his routine. He was very meticulous with it. And he played with emotion. And he came through at the biggest moments. Why? Because he prepared. Don't be so fucking naive and so selfish to think that you don't have to prepare. And then all of a sudden, you're going to show up at the ballpark, and this is going to be easy. Because not only are you cheating yourself, you're cheating your teammates. That's not cool at all. So, Backman, look, I screen recorded this thing. I was trying to figure out a way to repost, and I couldn't figure it out. I, I don't know if it's an account or what the issue was. I will post this thing today. I, as soon as I get off here, I'm going to figure out how to post it. And it's vulgar, and there's language warnings and everything else. But, look, I when it comes to the language thing, too, and I, for all of you watching Caffeine TV on Fubo, look, I, I apologize 
for the F-bombs and everything else. And my wife always says, as I go through and you know, I'll do my shows and whatever, she's like, well, it just wasn't really necessary to drop an F-bomb or a video. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't, but I just feel like it's authentic to me. And if you listen to Wally Backman talk, it's authentic to him. And it's not, they're not, I'm not dropping an F-bomb to scare off kids or using it in a vulgar way. It's a way to communicate, I think, sometimes with passion, energy, and, and effort. I don't know about effort, but like the passion and energy, it's just when you get someone rolling. So I've tried to put the captions on with the beeps, but for whatever reason, they, they haven't worked out really well. But I'm going to try to make a conscious effort because I do prefer more shareable content. With kids, when you have a message, you have something that really is worth sharing. I think it's important that it's shareable. Now, Wally Backman's speech, I'm dead serious. It's, if I could send this to every kid I've ever coached, I would. I'm scared what the parents are going to think or say. Because the language is vulgar, but it's the truth. And I think sometimes in life we're scared of the truth, and that's an issue. We shouldn't be scared of the truth. Now, I think we've taken a step back a little bit, and we're a little bit more lenient on the language and everything. And I can see how you want to try to shelter your kids. Look, with my kids from a very early age, obviously, I wrote a book called The Fuck It List. I mean, it's the, what do you want me to do? It's, and the idea behind that was that we actually had a list called The Fuck It List. And that was a list of things that we were, would try to get done through the course of the day. And it became a contest. Who could get the most shit done? Now, it was a productivity list, and then we called it The Fuck It List. And, I, you know, through that, the way I was looking at it is that then became a life thing where here are all these things in life that I want to accomplish. And, you know, the way to accomplish it is to write it down and chase it. And that's thus the title of the book. But I will tell my kids who are still at an age where I don't want them cursing at all. They're 12, 13, and 14. But I will say, hey, guys, look. Listen, don't don't do as I do. I, I'm going to do my best to lead by example and everything. But when you guys are 18, you're out of the house and you want to make your own choices on your language and everything else, that's fine. But understand, like, there's a set and setting for everything. And the set and setting and appropriately using language at the right time is really important. I wasn't in the White House having dinner with the president cursing up a storm when I was there. Just wasn't the case okay let's get into last night because what we saw was well i'd say nothing short of criminal criminals a hard word because it wasn't like anything was actually illegal about it because it's very legal The umpiring in the game was a complete and total embarrassment 
to Major League Baseball. As an advocate, as someone who played Major League Baseball, as someone who broadcasted for MLB for a long time, I'm embarrassed with the product that was actually put on the field. And believe it or not, I'm not going to blame the umpire. At this point, when we have the technology to be able to tell whether it's a ball or a strike, and it immediately goes out to millions of people, and we all know if it's a ball or if it's a strike, yet we still withhold that information from the one guy that needs to make the call. That's wrong. It needs to be rectified now. Not tomorrow. Not next year. Now. Today. Game five. That would be doing what's best for the game. Now, if you want to play the political game and all the bullshit, it's going to be another two, three years before we see it. We know it's coming. And I think now Commissioner Manfred has got to be just beside himself. He's a logical guy. He made the changes within baseball for a reason. So I'd be shocked, shocked, if there is not at least a challenge system in play for next year. I could go back and make the argument too. Only do it on strike threes? Yes and no. Because if you look at the numbers, there was a call in that last at bat, I believe it was Gabby Moreno who was up. And LeClerc threw a 1-0 slider on the outside corner. Right there. Called the ball. A strike. So now he's 2-0. Then he's 3-0, throws another slider, down by two runs. Didn't make any sense. 3-0. 3-0 cock shot right down the middle. 3-1 might have been a foul ball, I don't remember. But then 3-2 was the slider that was literally like this far off the plate. It wasn't even close. It was six inches off the plate, and then the umpire rings him up. Are you fucking kidding me? With the world watching, you know that this ball's off the plate. There's, the way I, the way I say it, right, think about it like calling a ball in or out in tennis or pickleball. When you see separation between line and out of bounds, so if I'm watching a ball come down and it lands, say, like right here, right? And the line is white, or say in this case, black. And it lands right there. And you can see the separation. You can see the footboard in between. Whenever I see separation, that's when I know ball's out. And you call it out. Well, it's the same sort of thing in balls and strikes. You see separation off the corner of the plate. You call it a ball. You see no separation. You call it a strike so long as it's the appropriate height. As much as I could sit here and spew all of this over and over and over again, it's still hard. It's not easy. 
it really is difficult. Balls are coming in at near 100 miles per hour. There are sliders, there's change-ups, there's curveballs, there's split fingers. The umpires don't know what's coming either. So a lot of times they can be fooled, and it happens. But overall, last night was not a good night for the sport of baseball. The first night was fantastic. You had people tune into a World Series that they probably didn't even think that they would tune into. And then the way the Rangers and the Diamondbacks played was just fucking awesome. Night two, again, cool celebration of the sport. You had Merrill Kelly, who had this amazing game. And then with that, you had the Diamondbacks blowing the Rangers out. 9-1, looking like they may be the team to beat. And then last night, Corey Seager went deep. Super cool. We're going to get into an article on him in a second. But all of the talk after the game was not about the game. It's about the umpiring. As a sport, that's where we lose. The talk needed to be about the game. It needed to be about Corey Seager. It needed to be about the Rangers. Resilient comeback after getting blown out at home in game two. That should have been all the talk. But instead, the internet was blowing up with criticisms of the strike zone and the umpiring. And I don't even think it's fair for the umpires when we're not giving them these resources. So here it is. It says the Texas Rangers beat the Arizona Diamondbacks 3-1 in Game 3 of the World Series on Monday night to take a 2-1 series lead, although it was a good bounce-back win for the AL champs. All most fans were talking about after the game was the dreadful performance by the home plate umpire who had a number of bad calls that went against both teams. Yeah, this wasn't one-sided. I didn't notice it. I mean, the perfect example was that at-bat with Gabby Moreno, where he screwed up the call and called a strike a ball and then later called a ball a strike. But what's happening is you screw with the hitters. The hitters have to know what to swing at. Now, immediately after he called that first one a ball, he's like, man, this one's this much further outside. I don't have to swing at that. Alfonso Marquez, and I look, this is the first time I brought up his name. I don't even want to name these guys. I don't. I have respect for them. They have a really fucking hard job, and they typically do a pretty good job at it. But I'm not sure if the criticism on the one individual is fair. This goes back to Don Deckinger and blowing the call at first base that cost the Cardinals a World Series. I don't think it's fair. Why didn't he back in the day, even this is 1985, where they knew immediately after that that call was blown? And yet it still was like another, what, 30 years before we implemented replay in that sense. So it says Alfonso Marquez's strikes one was baffling much of the night. Even Fox's announcers couldn't believe 
some of the calls and they didn't hold back. Good, I'm glad they didn't hold back. The highlight reel is a rough watch for anyone. And here's all of the tweets that came flying through. A lot of them here by the umpire auditor. Umpire Alfonso Mar- Marquez ranked 77th of 92, missed 13 calls in the World Series Game 3 with a correct call rate of 89.9%. This was the fifth worst game of the playoffs. So it's even sad to think because all the attention is on Marquez right now, but there were four other games that were fucking worse. Four others. They have this picture right here where you could just, I mean, see there, that's the last one. You could build a gosh damn hotel in between the plate and that ball. That is how egregious that call was. Just fucking awful. Really, really bad. Uh, thank you for tuning in to Daily Hustle, honey. But I am not accepting phone calls right now. My wife just called. So ultimately, look, I, I'm going to move past this thing right now. Because... If you followed the Daily Hustle, if you followed Deuces Wild, if you followed anything that I've done over the past, call it 10 years, I've continued to champion for this electronic strike zone. The time is now. It's not tomorrow. It's now. That would be the only way to rectify the situation. And I got to believe every single player involved would Love it. All right. Christian Walker. Scuffling in the postseason. Kid from South Carolina. I watched him hit three homers in a game in Reno way back when. He ran through a stop sign. And he's getting absolutely crucified for it. I want to pump the brakes here for a second. Because on this play, Christian Walker took off immediately. He kept his head down. And it took a perfect throw from Adolis Garcia in right field to nail him at the plate. Yes, should have he looked for the stop sign or whether the third base coach was sending him? Of course. But watching this play as a third base coach and knowing how difficult it is just to score a run, I bet you if you replay that over and over and over again, say a hundred times. I think he's safe 60% of the time. I do think 40% he's going to be out, but 60% of the time in that situation, he's going to be safe. So then let me ask you this. What do you think the odds are that a player scores from third base and less than two outs? The answer is about 50%. So even though he was thrown out, even though he's getting crushed for it, I think it was the right play. Now, it's really easy to go back and look at it and say, no, it wasn't. Yeah. Sometimes in life, you have to take an aggressive chance. And that's exactly what Christian Walker did. So, you know, going over this just a little bit more, it says the Chase Field crowd of 48,517 feet rose, gave him a standing ovation, leading off the bottom of the second inning in game three. And Walker responded by lashing a double. So this was 
I gotta believe. Yeah, they're they're, do, they're trying to do the Trey Turner because he's been really scuffling, and he had great at bats last night. He said it was cool. I appreciate that. Says Walker. Now this is coming from somebody who's been booed at home. I got booed by Diamondbacks fans. Not all the time. I mean, most of the time was cheers. But I always said, look, if you're gonna boo somebody. And this is why I'm okay with it in Philly or New York. I, I, I think it's counterproductive. But when you're handing out curtain calls the way they do, like Tic Tacs, it's okay to boo. Because if you're going to be so far on one end of the spectrum, then I guess it's okay to be on the other end. Now, does it help players? No. Getting booed at home by your home crowd is awful. There's nothing worse. Really. Right? Like, you're trying to do your best. And that was always the thing, with, you know, if I got asked about it, I'm like, look, I, I boo myself. <laughs> Trey Turner said that too. I'm out there trying to do my best. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm scuffling. A little support would, would help. So anyhow, you know, Walker did this, and I'm still not convinced that that actually was the play. And, uh, you know, he says – I had my head down trying to make a tight turn around third. Really trying to get to the plate, says Walker. The last time I looked at him, he was waving. I never saw the stop sign. So that's why you want to get way down the line if you're the third base coach. Because you're able to read when he has it. You can almost reach the trajectory of the throw. If you can read that typically by then, it's too late. So the golden rule a lot of times is that if the outfielder has the ball in his hand before the runner is rounding third, you got to hold him. That's a typical rule. Now, if it's simultaneous, unless that dude's got an absolute hose, you got to send him. I think it's a chance you got to take because not only – does the outfielder have to make a perfect throw home? Perfect. The catcher still has to receive it. And there's a lot happening. And then you could still slide in and potentially slide around it. So he says here, let's see, Tori Lavella saying, yeah, I feel like it was a huge momentum swing. You're looking at first and third potentially and no out. Okay, if there was no outs. If there was no outs, yeah, you don't want to go. My bad. I had a feeling. It was no outs, as I sat here and said. So with one out, I'm saying you take that chance. With no outs, you don't. And a lot of people liked to play out the next set of circumstances, a pop-up, a ground ball off the pitcher's arm. Who knows? The timing, everything would have been different. Of course, everything would have been different. The outcome would have been totally different. The genesis of Walker's mistake came when he misread Fam's fly, which he believed might hang up and be caught. Okay. So Andy didn't get a good jump, then yeah, there's no fucking way. That forced Walker to make up for hesitation, put his head down and grind towards home plate. I had my head down trying to make a tight turn. We went over that. The beauty of it is we should have been better in that situation. Christian Walker owned it, said Lavelle. He accepted it. He was accountable for his actions. And I know I will still consider him one of our best instinctual base runners. Was it a pivotal moment in the game? Absolutely. And we talk about making statements. I'm not going to lie. It hurt a little bit. And they turned around and scored three runs. That was a big moment. 
we got flat there for a couple innings. Walker acknowledged the pressure to do too much can hover on this stage. And the club's recent motto, embrace the chaos, actually runs counter to their prosperity. Sure, the stolen bases and aggressive base running and quick counter punches seem like mayhem, but they're the product of patience. I think less is more for me, says Walker. It's a World Series and we want to win so bad, but still making the game come up, come to us. That's what makes us dangerous. The chaos stuff that implies playing with your hair on fire a little bit. I think that's a little misleading. It isn't. It isn't. I think you. I think you got to do it. Like, what are we going to bitch out now? We're going to slow down now. Why? No chance. Keep rolling. Look, embracing the chaos, playing aggressively, that's what got you there. And now we're going to all of a sudden dial it back? No. Now Christian Walker in that situation with no outs. You got to dial it back. That's it with no outs. With one out again, (laughs) I'm rolling there. All right. So Corey Seager, another big Home run last night. He has a pregame ritual that is this mysterious sort of thing happening right now. And I wanted to talk about it. Here's an article. It is in the Wall Street Journal of all places by Lindsey Adler. On Josh Young's first day in the big leagues last year, he noticed that Corey Seager was nowhere to be found. As the Texas Rangers took the field together, that evening, Jung at third base and Seager at short. The rookie looked over at his star teammate and realized it was the first time he'd seen him play all day, or he'd seen him all day. By that point, Seager would have been at the ballpark for six or seven hours. He habitually arrives well before his teammates, yet as Jung learned, no one knows much about what he does. He hides even in the corners of the ballpark, undergoing a routine that's as mysterious as it is meticulous. I was like, dude, I haven't seen you all day, John recalled recently. That's what I learned about his routine. What does Corey Seager do for seven hours before a baseball game? The answer is a daily ritual unlike anything in baseball, and it's helping carry Texas closer to its first World Series title, including a 421-footer on Monday night in Arizona to give the Rangers a 2-1 lead over the Diamondbacks in the World Series. Seager's results are the bounty of a workday that he spends rebuilding his swing from the ground up every single day. What? It involves a lot of exercises too. Video, FaceTime with a private coach, and shockingly, little swinging of a bat, either in the cage or on the field. It's almost fear-driven, says Donnie Eckler, the Rangers bench coach and offensive coordinator. If I don't start from scratch... I don't think I'm going to be at my best tonight. Seager was certainly at his best this regular season, hitting 327, significantly higher than his career average of 292. Some of this can be attributed to a new MLB rule that limits the use of infield defensive shifts, but Eckert said he was surprised by how much Seager's success in 2023 had relatively little to do with the way the defenses lined up against him. It's the best offensive season that I've seen with my own eyes. That's a bold call. Wow. He was good. Seager's first move is to isolate the movements that eventually add up to the mechanics of his swing. Using video and video chatting with his private coach, he prepares his stance, 
begins rotating his body the way he wants to in the heat of the moment and hardly touches a bat for hours. Ecker estimates he spends two to three hours on this part of the process. What? I'm just a big believer in if I get into the right position, I'll be able to swing how I want to, Seeger said. The philosophy at the core of Seeger's daily routine is the feelings that feelings are fickle. Seeger doesn't trust that whatever he feels in his swing or mechanics from one night to the next will be replicable or lead to consistent results. To Seeger, it doesn't matter how it feels to take his swing. It matters how he moves and what he does. Feelings lie to you, Seeger said. That's why we videotape. I don't know, man. Once Seeger does move on to facing pitching machine and taking swings, he reviews video of every swing he takes. He can use high-speed cameras in the batting cage, and the Rangers can provide further kinetic feedback from the swing he takes in the game. He's sounding like the AI ball player. Holy shit. It's working. <laughs> the same way it was working for Brock Purdy until it wasn't. Using the ballpark sensors that generate MLB stack as data, the Rangers can create video to see your swing that shows just his skeletal movements. The Rangers can then overlay the stripped-down biomechanical videos one over one another and find minute differences. Jeez, oh, if Seager's wrist angle was off target by three degrees, the team can identify that and inform him so that he can pay particular attention to that issue as he once again rebuilds his swing before the next day's game. I'm just trying to find alignment and positions. That's really it. Seager is just as reluctant to talk about his pregame routine. He would strongly prefer not to. I agree. I mean, damn. Yeah, a lot of people are going to have different opinions on this. But who gives a shit? You do you, man. Killing it. His teammates find his program fascinating, but the star shortstop speaks of it as if his meticulous daily work is wholly unremarkable. I get to see it more on the road because there are not as many places where he can hide and do his thing, Jung said. Every time I watch it, I'm like, wow, how can I get more discipline in my process? That is good. It's tedious, said the Rangers catcher Austin Hedges. It's methodical and so much more about what it looks like over what it feels like. It's really hard to do. So most people just rely on feel, but you have different feelings at the plate every day. Seager attempts to take inconsistency out of perhaps the most difficult athletic skill on the planet in the process. He has become his own biggest skeptic. Past results don't mean anything when it comes to future success. Quote, I'll do the same thing consistently no matter how I feel. I'm probably going to produce a consistent result. Okay. All right. I mean, let's talk about this for a second because it is difficult to be consistent in the big leagues. That's what makes Hall of Famers. They are more consistent than everybody else. The ability to do it over and over and over and over again. Anybody can go out there and have a great day. But the question is, who can repeat it to the point where you're seeing consistent success? Now, Corey Seager has found a routine now that has allowed him to be in a position to have success 
each and every single time. Sometimes Corey Seaver is right. It's you feel one way, but then you look different. That's why video was really big. Video, look, this isn't new. Tony Gwynn was a fucking freak with video. We'll talk to Will about it tonight. He was so meticulous watching every one of his at-bats, and he knew exactly what he was trying to do. There's little things where I would be like, one day I'm here, and I'm like, oh, this is perfect. And then the next day I'm here. Here, 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 here. And you're like, you don't really know why. Now, sometimes you try to make the adjustment, but I would always try to simplify things where when in doubt, I would rest the bat on my shoulder, pick it up, load, go, load, go. I did all sorts of different things from a pre-step and then go, Rudy Harmio style. He was a hitting coach that made that very popular. If you remember Michael Young and the Texas Rangers, they would have it. And then the other one would be the straight leg kick where you come on the backside. Hitting is really interesting because ultimately it's about getting in a position to hit when the pitcher's releasing the ball. So when the pitcher's right here, no matter what, you're the hitter, you need to be here. So if that's here with the foot down, that's fine. If it's here with the foot up, that's fine too. This is going to come down naturally. But that is the key to hitting, being on time. This I like to refer to as the A position. I'll give you guys an example from back here. Watch this. This is the knob of the bat pointed at the catcher's feet, not the catcher's face mask. Boom, the catcher's feet. So it's here. That's it. Now, I'm very subtle with this. And I'll take Biscuit, for example. He's very exaggerated where I go like this, and you could barely tell. So I'm probably more like the back of home plate where Biscuits sometimes get too excited and he comes all the way like this and is pointing at the catcher's face mask. But the question is, what are you doing each and every single day to be able to go out there and repeat it? I do like the concept that past results don't mean anything as far as future. The idea to rebuild the swing every single day with movements and everything, okay, sure, I could dig that. Well, I would do that by getting in the cage and I do my one-hand drills. Bam, bam, 10, 10 bottom hand, boom, 10 top hand. Then I would set the T down and away, and I'd go, pa, 10 head behind the ball, shooting it to the right side of the cage. Then I would go 10 down the middle, bring it right back up the middle, right off the iron mic machine. And then 10 on the inside where I'm hitting in the upper left-hand corner of the cage. And then I would finish with probably like five more right back up the middle. And then after that, I would take some short toss from whether it was Dave Hudgens or it was Kevin Seitzer, Rick Shue. Just nice, easy, just getting the ball in the air shooting it middle, shooting it the other way, maybe turn on a few, probably no more than like 20. And then I would hit off the iron mic machine, crank it up to, ah, I don't know, call it. It's, I mean, as hard as it can go basically. And then if I wanted to simulate 
a 100-mile-per-hour fastball, I'd just walk up. I'd walk up. I'd walk up. I'd walk up. I'd walk up. And then now my reaction time has got to be super quick. That was the daily routine that I did every single day to try to be as consistent as I could. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. But ultimately, at least I know, and this goes back to the shit that Wally Backman was talking about, at least I know I did everything in my power to be successful that day. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I'm okay with that. But if it doesn't work out, I'm telling you right now, it's not going to be because I didn't put my work in. That's where Backman was so pissed at his boys because he's like, look, it didn't work out and you guys didn't put your work in. If it doesn't work out, you put your work in, at least you can say, well, I did what I could do to prepare. I need to be better tomorrow. What can I change in my routine? So lastly, let's just take a look at these beautiful freaking bats. This was the 32 and a half, 27 and a half, like senior league bat that I used to use. Easton, of course. And then here's the green Easton. This is a 33-29. So drop four. Old school green Easton. It's got a crack in it. This was my first black magic. 33-30. There's something about the rubber grip that just feels right. And then it was the EA-70. So this was like... The upgraded version of the Black Magic. This is a 34-30, still drop four. I swung this in high school. I believe my sophomore year. And then this was my junior year. This is a 34-31, drop three, EA-70. And it had a little bit more of a tapered handle. I actually, you can see with the pine tar and everything, but I took the handle off. It's still tapered a little bit. It's just structured that way. But it used to be more dramatic. I didn't love the taper. I just I kind of like feeling the bottom. So I wasn't, I don't want to say a huge fan. This bad boy right here. This is the 3431 drop three black magic that I used all the way into college. It was fucking fantastic. I mean, I mean it, it, between the summer ball and everything, this was my senior year. So, I don't know, just a celebration of Easton as we sit here and have these bats in the HMB. All right, we are back on. My mom's calling. I got to go. Uh, she's got breakfast for us down the street. Back on tonight, 5 p.m. right here. There it is. Let's see. Perfect little setup. We'll be just like this tonight. World Series Game 4. Live with Will the Thrill Clark at Deuces Wild. That's about it, everyone. I will see you tonight. Don't be afraid to tell a friend. Uh, by the way, thank you. The chat firing today. Pete, RJ, what's up, buddy? Buckwheat, Jason, Michelle Drew. Go Snakes. Here we go. All right. Uh, John Emmanuel Ramos Henderson. We are international once again, motherfuckers, per usual. Everyone have a great day. See you tonight.